Drag Life is a collection of stories and reflections on being a drag performer in Perth. Meet Liberty Jackson and hear how she found her identity in Liberty and the inspirations she has had. Um, my uh, stage name is Liberty Jackson. Uh, I originally came from my birth name, actually. I was, I am, my name is Jackson, but I, um, if I was going to be a female, I was going to be a Liberty. Um, and I kind of liked the name of just kind of embracing my feminine side. So I guess that's why I've, I've named my feminine side of who I am and why my identity as Liberty. Uh, but at the same time, Liberty is also French for freedom. So I thought Liberty um, kind of is like a revolutionary, like a freedom of, yeah, a Liberty, I say you will, of Jackson, basically. So I guess that's a pretentious way of saying it, but I, I kind of also like the name overall. It just has a nice ring to it, especially when you're on the stage and someone's announcing your name. It just rolls off the tongue. Uh, I started in London. I originally was going to start in Perth. But I was always so intimidated because um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the Perth scene is quite polished, and it's and everyone has like I guess a very distinct style in their makeup and their costumes, and even the choreography is always very well intact. It's all very well choreographed, and I just felt and I guess there was just the intimidation of it all. My basic my introduction was of course RuPaul's Drag Race, like most people my generation are. Um, so I guess my idea was like, I didn't want to be that idiot on stage who didn't know what they were doing. And lo and behold, it ha happened, of course. Um, so I started in London, um, finally just had the courage to do it. In my, I think I was like 23? Yeah, it's 24, 23. I started this like amateur um, competition. It was called Lipstick 1000, which was this place in East London called The Glory. Um, it was... It was run by this um, drag persona named John Sizzle, who actually does quite a lot of stuff for Fringe all around the world, including here in Perth. And he was very embracing. I didn't, of course, make it past the first round, but he saw something in me. Um, and then he um, kept saying that we've got these open mic nights where it's pretty much all queer performers, not just drag artists, not just drag entertainers, but also just anyone who liked to perform or do spoken word or do music or whatever they feel necessary and kind of comment on how they're feeling at the moment. Of course, when you're living in East London and you're basically living when living off minimum wage and, of course, the health system's corrupt over there. We're going through a really rough time at the moment also because it was Brexit. And so a lot of people were very uncertain with their government or everything else. So there's Theresa May, of course. So there was a lot of, not anger, but a lot of confusion and also feeling a, lot, a sense of hopelessness, which I guess is why, I guess, why it was so popular. Dragon Queer Entertainment was so popular in the 80s and the 90s because we had such times as Ronald Reagan and there was the AIDS crisis, of course. So it kind of just was, I, I call it the kickback almost, that our generation now, it's like we're politically more inclined to have an opinion about it, also have a, have a voice about it and having the the need and the yearning to actually voice it and speak about, about it. So that's kind of where originally Liberty was going to be a camp drag queen who 
would do would be of like a very mysterious femme fatale persona and would do lots of silly things and of course she still does that but now it has more of a political driven message behind it as well so that's kind of where I started um I was very punk so like I would do stuff like pour jackal over my face about alcoholism and do a whole number about that or I was talking about how people were so quickly removed around in the job system so like everything it clearly had a message but it wasn't quite being well directed which is of course how anyone starts as an artist not just drag um you need to learn the tools of the trade basically how to put your wig right how to put bobby pins in correctly how not to lose your wig how to tuck properly how to glue down your brows properly all that other stuff so of course it took some time and then um unfortunately i decided to leave london just due to the fact that i couldn't make any money over there um a lot of personal reasons too. Um, not going to get too my far into it, but I had a couple of um, drug addictions and stuff like that that I wanted just to get out of my system. So I came back to Fremantle, went back to my family, and then I just kind of had like a massive detox, eat, pray, love type moment. Had like a meditation, um, yoga, transformation, basically had sort of a psychiatrist. And then after I got that all sorted and I got a, a regular paying job for in retail, I decided, okay, well... I really miss and yearn to perform again and perform not just as an entertainer, but also in drag. So Liberty came back into the service. Um, it was harder here than I was expecting, I guess, because, and I'm, I'm not discrediting it. It's definitely a form of art. Um, but there was definitely a, a kind of a feeling like if you're not there doing like a traditional straight up entertaining routine to a top 40 song you're kind of dismissed and not and not by the drag community but more by the queer community in general so whenever you get on stage especially for like amateur nights such as drag factory or there's dragathon on thursdays and um the connections nightclub there was a kind of an idea in your head that if the audience didn't know the song and if it was 20 years old or just something along those lines or if it was just a bit too weird or avant-garde they would just be like no i'm not interested and it i had a quite and i'm quite fortunate to have kind of this I guess not the strength of numbers, but also just the um, support from the community that I'm seeing potential in me and also being like having taken the time to have like give me advice and stuff like that and tell me that this thing eventually it starts the negativity ends up like dying down a bit and people start like really coming on board to what you're doing. So I'm very fortunate for that. So at least I've had some people in my corner, I guess, if that makes any sense. Here, Liberty discusses the influence of drag race and finding strengths when growing up. Well, there was, it was always like a thought about it because I'm, I, I managed to like stumble upon drag race, I think it was season five when it came out. And that even looking at back at that, you've got some very strong comedic um, camp um, pushing boundaries type queens on that sh on that season, especially people like I guess Alaska, who does a lot of stuff with like I guess urination, and I guess that really went wow. This is something really interesting and really quite unique that I guess I never even thought about before because I've always known about drag, but I never thought it could 
go past because especially like growing up in Perth it's never really been that more I guess ridiculous goofy side of it and I guess when um I also have always been influenced by British humor as well so like stuff like Faulty Towers Monty Python and although that's I guess in a way it has it has some intelligence behind it it's definitely very silly and I feel like I guess that's what sparked my interest about drag there's, there's that I guess that um correlation towards that it was something silly and goofy and it didn't care too much about being um like this perfect thing I guess which unfortunately I feel like is what I guess drag has somewhat become now especially with Instagram people feel like they need to be the most perfect queen ever I'm definitely guilty of it too I follow all the trends and stuff um but I guess when I started it was originally like well i I think it was around, yeah, it was around season seven and there was definitely a difference in type of queens being shown on the show. It was, um, especially queens, I guess, who were not traditionally feminine boys, I guess. I know that's quite nasty to say that because I'm I'm, growing, growing up, I've definitely realized that no one's categorized in such a way, but I guess looking back at it, I was like, well, I can never do drag because my face is too masculine or I'm just too, I'm just too boyish looking. So watching, I guess season seven was like, oh, I could possibly do this. And I guess it was just a case of courage and time. So, So I spoke to a makeup artist friend of mine. She put me in drag once and then um, I went traveling and I started doing things. I just started practicing basically. And it was like somewhat okay. But then of course, you know, there was stuff I still didn't know about. I didn't know about setting a face so before performances. So like if you were working for like 10 hours a night, you're going to have to set it with powder, um, your foundation. So it doesn't, you know, streak and stuff like that. Just those little simple things like that that you don't think about. Especially when I also self-taught myself how to sew and how to make stuff as well. A lot of the stuff was hand sewn when I first started hot glue. And of course, none of that's durable and lasts long, especially if you're dancing and performing on stage. So it's just those things, I guess. Um, you can learn so much, I guess, through makeup and stuff by yourself, but you can only really like learn how to do drag properly if you're on the stage performing and you're learning how to perform, I guess. And you're learning what's your strengths, what's your weaknesses, um, what you need to work on, what needs, what's areas that you need to fix and basically what classes you need to take, I guess. I'm not saying if that's the direction you want to take it, which is you want to make drag a full-time thing, then you're going to have to kind of get, go through boot camp. Yeah. I always wanted to be an actor. Um, that was always the foremost biggest thing for me. Uh, there was always like, I guess, a creative visual arts aspect to me too. I used to do a lot of um, painting and drawing, especially um, a lot of um, cartoon um, graphic work as well when I was growing up. So I used to make comic books when I was like 10 or, 10 or 12 or something around those ages. And I just, I I always wanted to be an actor. I was really heavily focused on that. Even when I was moving to London, I was like, I want to be an actor. I want to make this work. And I guess, um, I just, I don't know. I guess I wasn't the right place, right time. I also believe in everything happens for a reason as well. So like, of course, I'm falling into drag as well. Um, I found out that I had quite a, I guess, no, yeah, a talent for makeup and for costuming. So then I decided, well, I'll come back to Perth. So I found a talent for makeup and I was like, well, why don't I become a makeup artist then? And then I came back here, did my diploma, just graduated actually. 
Um, and I've worked every now and again as a makeup artist. And I guess that way I found a strength in something else I could do instead of just acting. So I guess I've always had the visual aspect in me, but I guess drag really brought out the confidence in it for me to actually pursue it. There was a massive competition for Queen of the Court, um, which they do every year. Um, it's kind of like, uh, how do I describe it? It's kind of, it's not a pageant per se. It's more like a boot camp. And then there's the same one that happens in also mid-year as well, which I also just recently completed, which was Pop Princess and Connections. And it's pretty much seeing out of the queens who are just starting out, who would like to work more full-time and work further and, and towards that. So it's kind of like they push you through everything. They see how you work on the mic, how you, into, how you, you know, get along with other queens behind the scenes. How can, how quickly can you change your costume to the next one? How do you work amongst a group? Can you pick up choreography well? So then I did that for four weeks, the queen of the court last year. That was, it was a bit of a struggle again. Um, just because of like, just how unconfident I was and how new to I was to the scene. But, um, I had a couple of great moments. There was one round where I actually won it, um, which was a comedy round and the, and the guests, the, um, so the, you pick a, you pick a genre out of the hat challenge as well. So I got the yodeling and that was when, yeah. So that was when I could really like play up my camp and comedic <laughs> aspects that I have to my um, performances in general and that's when people are like oh okay she's actually here to make this a living make this a career and that's when a lot of people started I guess sparking up and has seeking interest in me I actually eventually got a couple of gigs out of that through Gender Mess and Geneva who's been nothing but very supportive amongst my um, group and yeah I mean it, it was a, it was a struggle again um, just because once you think you've completed something like that you feel like you've earned your stripes so you will but of course, there's, again, there's that kickback, the fact that most people really don't want to hear, especially in somewhere quite conservative like Perth, they don't really want to hear political views or political thoughts, especially when it comes to stuff like Melbourne Cup. Um, I originally, yeah, so I recently just, um, I've been very fortunate to find these two DJs who put on this night every, every, every month, um, at Connections Nightclub around like Fridays and Saturdays. And it's more of an avant-garde, um, left type, leftist type view of the world type night where pretty much anyone's allowed to, and, um, be a part of it as long as they have an idea and have a story. So kind of similar to how it was in East Perth, which is why. I guess I was quite inclined to start working with them. So I did one number, I think it was my first night I did with them and it was the Melbourne Cup and it was it was quite controversial. I decided to kind of make a complete mockery of the whole situation, how, you know, women were drugged or they were in the excess of drinking as well on top of it. Um, the fact that people literally behave like buffoons. Um, so like I, I literally picked up some from the audience, started riding them like a horse. So then um, by the end of it, um, not thinking it was going to be too much. I think it was, I'm thinking more punk rock Liberty East Perth. I think, no, no, this wouldn't cause any, um, consequence, but I brought an Australian flag and I pissed on it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, well, literally a guy came up to me afterwards and said, I, I could take you to court for that because that's defamation of the Australian flag and the Australian government. And I, again, I pushed back and said, yeah, do it. And then I, uh, <laughs> So then, unfortunately, um, 
it got to it got to a point where a lot of the audience started really kind of drifting away from because of none of my I guess my abrasive attitude and I guess how I would really like stand up and really defend what I would do on stage or if someone didn't if I thought a friend was giving me advice I didn't need I which is not very smart in my in in retrospect uh, I would, I would lash out basically. So yeah, there was a, I guess they would call it acting out. I would call it just, I was kind of sick of kind of having to justify what I was doing on stage, especially when the, a lot of places in the world, people were quite similar views to what I was doing and I wasn't the only drag queen doing this, but I guess in Perth, it was quite new and revolutionary in a way, which I find quite shocking to be honest, because I feel like especially with queens like gender mess. And then there's also one of my really good friends, Donna Kebab and Perioxide. They also quite, they quite, they push the buttons as well, but I guess either, nothing has ever been as quite political as what I I'm doing at the moment, I guess. So then I had a kickback. Um, I decided to um, compete for this pop princess, which I originally wasn't going to do just because it was a pop night. I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely detest people like Rita Ora and Jason Derulo. So it was something that just really didn't spark interest in me, basically. So I was like, well, I'll call this damage control then and do that and see if I can get along with the queens backstage, but also at the same time um, kind of use pop music to my benefit and make and, and kind of mold and form my performances through pop music in a way that they will be familiar with the music but they can also kind of get the story so yeah there's a there's a definite struggle because of course um me thinking grander and bigger i was thinking let's put all these props on stage and again it got too confusing and it was a very good critique i got i think second week it was told um all all this stuff you're thinking about and you not practicing in these in these props and you and you being so focused on that you you're not having a good time and I can't enjoy it and that I thought was a pretty fair point I guess in what they were looking for for the competition and I guess what they were looking for to hire people which is foremost to entertain so that was like okay so it was like a dial back re-evaluate re all the songs that I thought not that I was going to change in the songs but I was going to change how I was going to perform them I guess so I really dialed down the props I, re I actually I think I promised myself the last two weeks I wasn't going to use any props whatsoever but um, I decided to make everything kind of more cohesive and made it, I guess it was also a really great message, um, good learning point for me as well. So not just as a performer, but as an artist, like sometimes not dumbing down, but simplifying things makes it easier for people to process and to, I guess, follow. So I did that and then um, I did pretty well. Um, I won one week, which was fantastic, which I think I didn't think I was going to win a week. And then um, I ended up running, I'm coming up for second runner up. So I was pretty happy with that. Ended up having a, a rebonding again with a queen who actually won the competition. And I, which I think is foremost and very important to make sure you get along with your sisters as well. Not just sisters, but like drag kings as well. So just the overall, like, I guess the feeling you want. And I guess the feeling that I've always desired about drag is the fact that you're looking for a community, you're looking for a family. So the idea was basically I was hoping to still have that strong strength and community and family. And I did. And then I guess I was very fortunate as well, being the fact that 
I wasn't the only one doing things, I guess, differently or politically and or I guess in a different perspective. So there was the two others who were in the top with me, which was um uh, one who's that now trans serenity who I was just talking to you guys about. Um she's very much transformed, trans positive, but also the fact that she comes across as just very independent and strong and how all her performances she has this very strong persona which in itself I find is quite um, liberating in a way instead of just playing the the natural like pretty drag queen who goes out there and does a fierce number there's a, there's a kind of a strength to it and there's a there's a rawness to it which I very much admire and then the, of course the other one who came runner up was Mary Lamb of God who I absolutely adore just because of the fact that she is somewhat similar in kookiness and quirkiness, but in a way that it's got a sense of intelligence behind it. And I guess in a way, uh, something I would admire in someone, especially for someone who's almost, I guess, four years younger than me. Um, and has the, I guess, a strength and a, um, a wisdom about her that, and also like an, a, an air of like not giving a fuck basically of what anyone thinks about them. And I guess with all three of us there being so, I guess, forward thinking and stuff, it was quite a moment for people to be like, oh, okay, maybe we need to start readjusting how we, I guess, we we, sh- we, we perform shows and how we, we, I guess, we entertain the masses, basically. Liberty reflects on her time in Perth and London, comparing the two scenes of the small and big city and the differences in drag and politics. I feel like it's always going to be stuck. Um, I just just because if you, if you're living in a small town, you're going to have people with, with small-minded views, and not I, again. I, I'm not trying to discredit what the current, I guess, what do you call them, the showgirl queens are doing right now, um, because they're doing something that is not only entertaining um, our community, but also entertaining like pretty much the Perth community in general. So when you think of it that way, that's also still quite political because you're showing something to um, the masses that's kind of making, I guess, what we do and queer representation okay. So I definitely don't discredit it, but I also do think we are heading towards the way where they're going to have to like make room for us as well on the bus. So that's what I'm kind of more excited about is the fact that we can kind of, I guess, work together in harmony, hopefully. I mean, I don't think there is any, I guess, strong anti it, but there's definitely a strong like, okay, that was great, but when are you going to do, like, a pop song and entertain the audience, basically? Which I don't, I mean, I don't mind every now and again, but at the same time, going back to how originally why I started doing her as a person, my Liberty Jackson, it was to push boundaries and, and was to... I guess have a point of view and also to challenge people in the audience especially somewhere like Perth where there is such a mask for mass culture or especially the gay community or there's such a oh you're a girl why are you doing drag like there, there's still moments where I guess there's this frivolity to it or this frivolous nature that I just I feel like should be challenged and it should be addressed and it because it's basically um re-heterite well, it's the it's the heterification basically of uh, that makes if that's a word at all, um, and it's it's heterizing our community basically, and it's, it's it's missing what's special about our community, which is the the fact that we're embracing feminine and masculine aspects of ourselves, and we're kind of merging into one. 
So I guess what I'm hoping for is that there's just a general like feeling that everyone's allowed at the party and there's no special seating and stuff. There's, there's room for everyone basically. But of course everything happens in time. Well, I guess in a way there was a kind of a freedom, I guess, in East Perth to be a hot mess, I guess in a way, which I guess if in the heart of hearts of me, I've never actually wanted, I guess. I just kind of accepted it and I kind of accepted this is just the way it is. Um, I guess Perth kind of really pushed me into thinking, no, it isn't the best it can be. It can be better, which is not the worst thing in the world ever. I feel like that's actually kind of a, a really good lesson to learn. And so I guess in that way, I'm kind of thankful, even though I did have a kickback, I'm kind of thankful for it because I've learned, well, no, there's, there's things that it could be, there's, there's areas of improvement basically that I could work on. And in that way, I feel more confident as I perform, but also not just working amongst them, but also working independently and also putting myself out there as a business, I guess, in that foremost. And I didn't, I could never learn that back in East Perth. So, well, I guess the drag community in East London was, was there, I guess, because when I was just starting out, I was only doing it for six months. I didn't really, really get much of a connection with a lot of people. There was a couple I had a really good connection with, um, Shay Shay, who I kind of call my, um, unofficial drag mother just because she gave me my first shows and she told me certain things here and there and she's a brilliant um, performer if you ever get the chance to look her up definitely I guess the difference would be it feels you feel less on your own here I guess if that makes any sense which is why I've decided to continue to stay in Australia even if I don't stay in Perth I would stay in Australia in general just because there's a sense of more I guess home, if that makes any sense. And uh, especially with people here, you kind of get where everyone's coming from in a way. I uh, although everyone also has act out diva moments here, or they behave high and mighty every now and again, there is this moment of like, I guess there's a sense of humanity about they do pull themselves back. You do kind of understand where they're coming from as well. And you do, you can have a fight with someone, but it feels more like a brother fighting you know, or a sister fighting, you're going to be friends by the end of the week. It's fine. So I guess that's what I kind of, I guess what I yearn for in East Perth, which are East London, sorry, that I didn't have before and now I have in Perth. But at the same time, there is that frustrating aspect as well of being the fact that I, I do feel like I have to constantly prove, I guess, my entertainment value as well. If that you could value it that way, I guess. But I feel like there's a there's a movement for it. There's a there's a place for everyone basically. And I feel like if I just had to push her a little bit further, then I just got to push a little bit further. And who knows where it could lead? I mean, I hate bringing back drag race because it's not like a true representation of what drag really is about. But like you can only look at the you know the hero the the, the um the Cinderella story is like there's a one season where there was Sharon Needles and she won and she got no respect from her from her play um from her hometown and then of course she won now everyone wants to book her now including her hometown so I'm not saying I'm I'm like an outsider per se in Perth but I do feel like there's a couple of times that people just don't get where I'm coming from and it's not a bad thing it's just a case of different perspectives and different ideologies and mine just happens to be a lot different to a lot of other people so I guess in that way, it's just a case of just taking the time, seeing what their point of view is, 
see if you can reevaluate what you're doing and reassess what you're doing and make sure it can work that they can get through. But also at the same time, seeing, you know, meeting them eye to eye, they can also not, like, not like you're schooling them, but they're kind of getting an idea of what you are and they kind of have to work around what you, how you see things as well. So it's like any quote community, really. It's like, how do you kind of meet each other halfway? Lastly, Liberty reflects on how drag influences her outlook on the world. I mean, there's that, I guess there's that quote that I've really, has really stuck with me from RuPaul. And it's like, I guess with all the drag queens and kings that they come out, they're kind of, they're, they're kind of the Dorothy. that they've, they've looked behind the green curtain. They found the wizard's not a big bad wolf. He's just a loser. Um, I guess, so that's kind of like us seeing the world. It's like, we realize that although there's a, the world can be grey and you can have some amazing opportunities. It's still at the end of the day, there is still a very much like a clear class structure involved. And there's a very much an idea that unfortunately, if you're a woman or you're gay or you're of colour, there is, you're kind of given the scraps compared to the, the predominantly the white Caucasian straight man. So I guess that was kind of my, I guess how I perceive the world and how I continue to perceive the world, unfortunately. There's definitely a massive change and we have seen many, 100% a lot of improvement, especially with me just walking out of the street in drag. It's definitely a lot easier, but there is definitely a sense of, oh yeah, but you're still the class clown. Like you're not taken seriously, I guess, in a way. Um, so I guess that could eventually change. Who knows if we continue to be political about it or to continue to have a voice about it, perform about it, educate other people about it, go to rallies, go to... Um, so a peaceful protest and stuff like that. There's only there's only ways up. I do believe that, but at the same time, there is definitely a perspective I have. I continue to have about the world being that, unfortunately, things are just not going to be handed to you as easily as other people as other people are privileged would have. So, I guess in that way, it's somewhat unfair. But at the same time, it's also like I wouldn't have it any other way because I guess how that's what inspires my art. And what it continues to inspire me is to continue to push the envelope, continue to think of different ideas to do performances and stuff. So, you know, so it's a catch-22 situation. Is it like, do I want, like, equality for all and world peace, but at the same time, it's also, it's also good to challenge the, the authority, especially when it, you feel like there's a sense of it being, like, somewhat unfair and unjust. I've had a lot of, um, I guess, a lot of viewers or I guess now I've had a lot of people who actually started gravitating towards what I do. So at start, you're really confused because you come out on stage and you look like a pretty woman or you've got this gorgeous gown on or your gorgeous outfit on or you, you present as a gorgeous queen, but then you go out and do something weird like smash a box or you sort of flag say you will and I guess it's like well I kind of like that surrealistic aspect to it of what I do I guess it's like the fact that it's subverting expectations I guess and me coming out there looking the way I do is at the same time I'll do something quite filthy or grotesque or somewhat absurd and then it's I guess in a way they don't know whether to laugh whether to react vehemently towards it or just to be like yes live for it and that's very much how I was also influenced when I went in East London. There was this beautiful queen called Rhoda Decay, um, who although, I guess, beauty is the eye beholder, I guess, but she was very much, it was Laura Palmer meets, like, Nosferatu. It was very dark and insidious, but everything was so beautiful because she was a makeup artist as well. But, like, 
She'll go out there and do a garbage song and smash a watermelon on stage for like four minutes and do like stuff like um, um, music that would be intertwined between Eileen Waters' like last few days interview and stuff like that. So there's the, it's that subverting expectations type of thing. I've definitely done it a couple of times too. I guess my proudest type of performance I did, I guess, which was more personal, was um, the fact that I really wanted to address depression and isolation, especially amongst the gay community. There's definitely, especially in our generation, it feels like there's a lot of hopelessness being like, and comparing of each other and stuff. So that naturally progresses to, um, oh, what's the word? Sorry, depression and isolation and feeling, I guess, inferior. So I'm, I kind of, I, lo- I kind of guess, found a lot of, um, a relation and a lot of um, sympathy and empathy for someone like Judy Garland, who I absolutely adore as well, known just as um, performer, but also as an actress and a singer and a dancer has made some amazing work. And um, I decided I wanted to do a whole ode to her. And I found this amazing interview that she did around, I think 10 years before she died. And it, she was definitely out of it. She was like completely um, med out, like so many medications on, um, and it was a really unfortunate moment, but, um, the interview, she pretty much was just so honest and so frank and it, but it was somewhat entertaining because it was still Judy and it was still her being a performer and, 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 live, and bring the crowd up. And it was all about, so I decided to mix that with, um, this song by Arcade Fire called Sprawl 2, which is very much about adolescents feeling depressed and isolated, especially in a, a world that's growing and more industrialized, I guess, in a way. So I, I mixed that in between that as well. And um, I was very nervous because it was a six minute track, but then um, they, people loved it. And I've been very happy and proud of that moment ever since. Mm-hmm. I guess not my biggest moment compared to something like my yodeling number or um, I did something very recently, like the, um, another competition called Drag Nation where I played a tree and I did it to FK Twigs Waterbeer, which is all about, I guess for me, it was all about... Um, feeling inferior in the gay community and feeling small amongst this stuff like the grinder culture say which is like a dating app and it's like how you and how you you know you you measure yourself up in your i guess your visual appearance and your and your, your sex prowess i guess in a way so i decided to mix that with the idea of a sapling kind of dying because she's not getting the water that she actually needs so that got really well perceived too but that was more of a bigger moment for me and i got that for fringe but yeah, I guess those are my bigger moments, but I would say that was probably my proudest moment because it was something that felt very more to me and more close to how I view myself and how I want to present myself and to have the positive reaction I got was like, it meant the world to me, basically. Thank you for listening. If you would like to find out more about the Centre for Stories, head to centreforstories.com.